This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, June 12, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, we talk with Dennis Merritt-Jones, author, keynote speaker, spiritual leader, and mentor. We'll talk about the spiritual and religious side of politics. But first, here's a few questions I'd like to ask you. Should corporations have the same rights as people? Should they be able to put their massive dollars into political campaigns to support a candidate or an issue? Well, the Supreme Court apparently thinks so, even though the citizens whom they're supposed to serve don't. Greg Coleridge, the national co-director of Move to Amend, invites you to join the organization and help pass a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. You can join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. So joining us now is Dr. Dennis Merritt-Jones. Back in 1985, Dennis arrived in Simi Valley, California with a vision to create a spiritual community where people could experience a personal sense of being part of something larger than themselves. Over the next two decades, he built a religious sanctuary in the heart of Simi Valley, which is northwest of Los Angeles. Hundreds of people attended his Sunday sermons as well as activities throughout the week focused on attaining a balanced life not just spiritually, but emotionally, physically, and professionally. Dennis authored several books, including The Art of Abundance, The Art of Uncertainty, and The Art of Being, as well as several others. These books, which have been translated into several languages, focus on the ways in which our spiritual lives can be brought into balance with our physical lives. Dennis is also a public speaker, a personal mentor, and holds a Doctor of Divinity degree. So Dennis, uh, thank you for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. Hey, my friend, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for having me uh, in your program. I really enjoy uh, connecting with you, actually. (laughs) We've known each other a long time, so get a good chance to reconnect. Thank you. Good. Well, thank you. You know, um, let's start off by talking about the crazy times that we live in. You and I have been walking this planet for a number of years now, and uh, I don't know about you, but this is probably one of the crazier times, if not the craziest time, I've ever seen over the past uh, decade or two, especially over the past um, five years or so. And mm-hmm. looking at the looking at one aspect of it, though, I, I've I've heard a lot of people talk about the lack of God. You know, presumably a Christian God, but a God nevertheless, and the effect it has had on uh, recent uh, events. Uh, specifically, we hear that gun violence in this country is up, I and mean, it's way up. Now, we can discuss America's deadly love affair with guns, and personally, I think there's a lot to discuss in that area, but let's confine our discussion to spiritual matters. And I'm looking at uh, a Pew Research Center article that was written back in 2021, where people who self-identify as Christian dropped from 75% to 63% over the past decade. So, Dennis, what do you, to what extent do you think this drop in the belief of an organized religion contributes 
if at all, to the violent mayhem we've been seeing these past few years, and in particular this past month? Well, I think it's part of the, the overwhelming polarization that we're experiencing mm -hmm. uh, as, as human beings, uh, not to mention political parties, you know, in, in this country. And I think that the, the, the more farther right-leaning the conservative movement goes, they, they mm -hmm. some of them, it's, it shouldn't generalize, but, right. but many, of, many of them um, think they drag their, their form of religion into their politics mm -hmm. where it does not belong, in my opinion. And, and, and there's an arrogance that, that tends to go along with when you think my way is the only way. Mm -hmm. And and there's nothing nothing more dangerous than spiritual arrogance and people they don't really have a, the ability to discern the difference between their own personal spiritual journey and their political journey and they try to commingle them I think that's where they mm -hmm. make a mistake. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I've seen this just tried to compare the United States to Australia, for example. And I've read an article recently, there was this a similar, fairly precipitous drop in people who identify as Christians uh, within Australia. And in the past 20 years, it's dropped from about 73% down to 53%. That's 20 points in, in 20 years. Uh, but it's interesting, though, that during the same period, the, the murder rate within Australia has also dropped. It's, uh, it's been almost cut in half from 1.8%. Uh, per 100,000 people to 0.9 per 100,000 people. So I would yeah. question, you know, the, the argument that uh, a loss of spirituality or perhaps a loss of, of religiosity is responsible for an increase in mayhem. Now, there's a question for you, though. Is, is, do you think that people are really less Christian these days in your experience? Or do you suppose they're just not identifying as Christian because they choose to honor God outside of uh, the institutions of religious worship? Well, the Christianity can, can be defined in many different ways. You know, of course, the traditionalist says that, you know, if you haven't taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior, washing the blood of the Lamb, you're not Christian. And yet there, there's a deeper spirituality that many Christians uh, adhere to, which is really to try to not put Jesus on a pedestal so much as it is to take the teachings of Christianity and apply them in real authentic ways in their lives. And there's a huge difference there, you know? So I, you know, it's not like God has disappeared because God, is in, in our, as you know, in my belief, God is really at the center and circumference of all that is God is all there is, but the awareness of God's presence has been clouded over by so much anger and so much, uh, um, as I said before, arrogance and ignorance about the, the, the reality of what spirituality is and how that differentiates from religious uh, orientation or, or religion. Mm -hmm. It's a huge difference between religion and spirituality. Yeah. Well, let's talk about spirituality because consequently, I also read another, I read a lot of peer research articles, but there's one that was, mm -hmm. I dug up back from 2018. Uh, it's actually a podcast and they talked about spirituality in America and they said that Americans have become less religious, but more spiritual over time, mm -hmm. with 59% of the people, according to them, this is back in 2018, saying that they regularly feel a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being. This is good, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, sp spirituality, in my opinion, and all I can do is give you my opinion, uh, my spirituality is practicing. It's an active, intentional practicing of the awareness of God's presence in our life 24-7, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, infinite intelligence, God is there doing it in us and through us and with us and as us. Whereas religiosity, you know, the, the root word for re religion is religere, which is a Latin word. It means to bind together. And the reality is, is that religion has done nothing more than separate people because of opinions. I'm, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm better than you because mm -hmm. I believe this and you don't. And spirituality does not find that divisiveness in it because if somebody's aware of their oneness with life, with the universe, with God's presence, they... Uh, they allow that that sense of oneness to show up in their lives in everything they say they can do. And it creates harmony and balance and, and non-judgment. That's that's spirituality. Okay. It leaves it leaves space for people to practice their approach to, to God in their own personal way without making any one of them wrong. Mm -hmm. How can we translate spirituality into a method of getting us through these crazy times. I know this is a really big ask of you, but uh, can you give us some ideas anyways, how spirituality can help us get through some of these crazy sure. times we're in right now? Yeah. Spiritual, the practice, uh, it, it, the core of spirituality, which is living, in my opinion, in the awareness of our oneness with God, and that we can't separate ourselves from it other than by our thoughts. And, and it's still there, just that we're not being aware of it. But spirituality is something that wherever you go, there you are. You, you take it with you. You take it to the kitchen, to the bathroom, to the to the backyard, in your car, on the highway. You know, the presence of God is there all the time. And spirituality is a, a practice that it's, it's about remembering. That's why mindfulness is such an important core part of my teachings is mindfulness is, is you know, it's, it's, it's a smrit. In, in Sanskrit, the word for mindfulness is uh, smriti, which means to remember to remember, to come back to what? The mm -hmm. present moment, because that's the only place you can experience your authentic presence of, of your oneness with, with God, life, intelligence, whatever you want to call it. You mm -hmm. know? So mindfulness is learning how to be pre present in the moment with our bodies and, and become the observer of what's going on outside of our bodies by remembering that irrespective of what's going on, the presence of God is there. That's different than, than, than those who are more anchored in a, in a traditional sense of religion where, where God is up in the sky, an old man with the, with the long gray hair and mm -hmm. the bearded holding a, a lightning bolt in his hands, ready to zap us the minute we do something uh, wrong that's a belief in a, a total different type of god than what uh what i believe in yeah okay it's kind of more in line with with i mean i, I don't i'm not again i'm not the expert at this but it seems to be that the 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 sense of god is love and god is everything isn't that more in line with what jesus was proposing uh, back in the day, and, and he was sort of an enemy of the church of his day because these are the concepts yeah. he was promoting, right? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that ironic that that the, those claim that Jesus is their savior don't really understand what a, he was? He was quite uh, not well loved by his contemporaries, uh, mm -hmm. many of them, because he was introducing radical ideas 
which really boiled down, if you take the, the, the essential teachings of Jesus, they boil down to two things, and he said it. Uh, the Father and I are one. The kingdom of heaven is within, in other words. We're one with God. And the other thing that he said in so many different ways is it's done unto you as you believe. Your thinking process, your mind, your consciousness has everything to do with what you create in your life. So if you're steeped in a, a, a belief that God is angry and up there in the sky someplace and he's waiting to punish you, you're going to respond with that same kind of anger in your life. Whereas if you're aware that infinite presence, God is with you all the time. It's not separated from you. It's not up in the sky someplace. God's presence is everywhere. You make more space in your mind and heart to let that flow through you in the present moment. So moving on to to politics then, well, I, I should say politics and religion, we ostensibly, anyways, live in a secular society, or so I've been told. You know, yet we see evidence of religion, particularly the Christian religion, uh, weaving throughout our government. For example, it's customary for elected government officials to swear an oath on the Bible. Uh, our currency itself, every dollar bill, every coin you see says, in God we trust written on it. Uh, the phrase mm. under God was inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance back in 1954, right around the same time that presidents, starting with Eisenhower, started this, uh, what they call the prayer breakfast. And that prayer breakfast has, has blown up to a place where you know prominent religious and business leaders uh, attend this thing, and it goes on for several days, actually. Um, mm -hmm. There's little doubt that, in my mind, anyways, that religion and politics are related. And, and I, by religion, I, I generally mean the, the Christian-based religion. And it does bear fruit in terms of, you know, for, for the participants of, of these activities, like the prayer breakfast and so on, it bears fruit in terms of power and standing, and it really just translates to votes. So do you think it's gone yeah. too far? I mean, should we pull back from the sort of religiosity in, in government and become a truly focus on becoming a truly secular society? And if so, how do we well, that's, manage that's, this balance? Go ahead. Isn't that what the founding fathers really proposed was a separation of church and state? And yet it, it is ironic that, that God's presence is referenced so often in politics. Mm -hmm. um, and yet it's a definition. It's, it, it's, it's being referenced by politicians according to their own beliefs, not what's necessarily true, but what's, what's maybe their truth. Mm -hmm. And they act on that accordingly. And yeah, should, should religion be extracted from, from politics? In my opinion, yes. And that's the problem is, is everything has become so politicized, you know, including the COVID pandemic, you know, that, that, that had no business being dragged into politics. Right. Uh, and yet there it is. So I think that the tendency is for a lot of politicians, especially probably the more conservative ones, is to, to drag the conversation about God into the conversation uh, if, if they can use it as a point to uh, promote a specific point of view, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the right point of view, but if they could point to the Bible and misquote something out of the Bible or take it out of the context and use it, enough people believe it. Like some, you know, how many politicians, I won't mention names, but at the top of the, uh, the party say simply untrue things, and yet people take things, take what they say as gospel because they have they have connoted their religious uh, 
affiliation as one with that that person at the top who's speaking. Yeah, that's true. But um, I, I sort of look at at this uh, Christianity in a sense, and I'm not down on Christianity myself, but I, I do see what it's done over the centuries. Um, I'll go back to an example. This is probably back in 1998. I was having lunch with a colleague and he was extremely Christian, and we were we were talking about Christianity, and he he sprung this idea upon me. He said, "The U.S. Constitution is a Christian document," and I I just started laughing. I thought he was joking, right? <laughs> but he gave me a really mm-hmm. serious look in re- in response, and I thought, "Oops, I guess he's not joking." But uh, you know, when you think about it, throughout the history, Christians have have gained power uh, by uh, re uh, maybe, God hostage. <laughs> by doing what they hold, holding God hostage. Yeah, well, they not say. only that, but but they steal things too. I mean, like uh, you know, the major holidays, like the Festival of Lights, for example, became Christmas. It became the birth of Christ. Um, you know, going back to ancient times, and this was a, a person who was going through seminary school was telling me this. He dropped out of seminary school, but he, he laid this concept on me. He said back in ancient Rome prior to Christianity, it was a Latin-Greek sort of mythology that dominated, but it was, it was, uh, it was pushed out by Christianity because um, they—well, in order to push—in order for Christianity to make any headway with these people who were believing of these, of these mythologies, they created a sort of multi-deist narrative that paralleled the prominent mythology of the time. So you have, you know, the Father, the Son, you have heaven, you have hell, you have— all these things which have direct parallels in the in the Greek mythology. And so getting back to modern modern times though, um, yeah, I, I think Christianity has sort of is sort of trying to move in and say the US Constitution is a Christian document and therefore we are a Christian nation and therefore Christianity should dominate. Um, what's your mm-hmm. thoughts? What are your yeah, thoughts about that? That's the evangelical uh, mindset, you know, and the, and the the evangelicals have been on a crusade from day one to recruit everybody into their beliefs. And um, the human, human beings don't do well when they're pushed and prodded into or manipulated into being a part of a particular group or belief system unless it lives in them. Uh, otherwise, it, it builds up resentment and it causes pushback, which is, I think, what we see happening, too, is a lot of people are pushing back at, at uh, fundamentalist uh, religions because to, be, to insist that my way is the only way is just arrogant. And, and, and it's spiritual ignorance, as I said earlier, where we're unaware of the thousands of other religions on this planet that seem to each provide the followers of that religion their own pathway to a personal relationship with God. And Christianity just happens to be one of them that has become uh, obsessively uh, uh, focused on by uh, those in the fundamentalist uh, movement. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about social media because it's well, let me start off this way. It's, it's a spiritual mindset that says what you can envision will manifest itself in reality. And, and I know you're a believer in this, uh, as I've known you throughout the years. And so have I. I've become a believer of that as well. I've seen how it played out in my life. And I've seen how a person's vision can become their reality. But 
There's a dark side to this mindset, though, isn't there? Because if your mind goes to a dark place and creates a dark vision, that too could become your reality because, you know, there's yeah. the, the universe doesn't make any judgments on you. And uh, so I've been told. So below. Yeah, that's true. That's you're absolutely correct. Well, what you think is what, what you see is what you're going to manifest as your reality. Yeah. And I, so to that regard, I've been told that you have to really you know, control your thoughts because, you know, this can happen. And well, listen, Dan, it goes back to something deeper than thoughts. And this is one of the, the big uh, misnomers about about metaphysics and, and new thought principles is that people think, you know, even Ernest Holmes, the founder of science and mind, religious science said, he's, he said, change your thinking and you'll change your life. That's true. And yet it's not our thoughts we need to change. It's the beliefs that sponsor those thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's our deepest core beliefs that, that, that that's from, that's the place where our thoughts come from is what we believe. So you have a belief which sponsors a thought, which then creates an action. So it's not about changing your thoughts. It's about really being willing to challenge your belief systems and to stand toe to toe with what is not working for you in the outer world and ask why on the inner world it was your belief system and find out what your mistaken belief is. And, and that happens, you know, it, it's passed down. Jesus talked about, you know, it's passed down from the father to the son. Mm-hmm. The, the, the sins of the father are passed to the son, which is really another way of saying the core belief system of the father inherently gets passed to his his children by action, by by example, and by by uh, their actions. And then, as children, we witness the beliefs of our parents and other authority figures being passed to us, and we're not even aware that that's happening until we're adults, and we find ourselves talking like, sounding like, doing like our parents do. And it shocks me sometimes. Yeah. I still see my dad and me showing up by, by virtue of my words and thoughts and actions and sometimes even my gestures. And and you can remember that you can't hide from the reality that that, that lineage lives within us and, and it lives there unconsciously within us until we're conscious enough to see it and challenge it and challenge what beliefs need, may need to be challenged. I wrote a book called Your Redefining Moments becoming who you were born to be, which is, that's the core of that book is taking the reader back to who they were the moment they were born before the, the, the world got a hold of them and started slapping all kinds of labels on them. Uh, and and mm-hmm. to co- come back to who you were the moment you were born, which is an authentic individuation of, of, of the one God and learn to define your life from that place rather than what other people, including our family has told us so, uh, that they, they said is the, the truth about us, which isn't always true. That's the challenge then, isn't it? Because it's more than just controlling your thoughts. It really is controlling your core beliefs. And um, I don't know about your journey through life, but my journey through life, uh, yes, um, I was I was not even aware of my beliefs until later on in my yeah. adult life that, wow, these things have been wound into me for, uh, for decades before I became aware right. of it. And it has affected right. me. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to break free from it, right? It is. It's called consciousness. And you don't change consciousness that took 30 or 40 or 50 years to build. You don't change it overnight, but you do change it one belief at a time when you are willing to stand toe-to-toe with your belief system and look what's working and what's not working and challenge what's not working and introduce a new belief that affirms something different. So I'm going to bring it back to social media and the internet again, because 
the the universe being the culmination of everything, it also includes the internet. <laughs> and and I've seen mm -hmm. time and time again where people use the internet to get help or perhaps to spread joy, you know, maybe look at some cat videos or something like that, or or to do <laughs> good deeds. Um, but the internet is is an accelerator, really. It's an accelerator of sorts because once you put your vision online, once you put your truth online or your belief system online, you will have access to an unlimited number of people who are who are exposed to it and can now instantly react to it. And and like the universe, the internet makes no judgment. It can be just as easily uh, it could just as easily accelerate goodness as it can evil. And yeah. so that gives you perhaps maybe it's a false sense of feedback, like what they call the proverbial echo chamber, where you throw some bad ideas, you throw some bad thoughts, you throw some bad beliefs out there, and it will it will reflect off of different people in the internet and come back to you tenfold, reinforcing perhaps your own uh, bad beliefs or your own beliefs that ultimately were bad beliefs in the sense that they ultimately work against you. Well, that's, that's why... That, Dan, that's why social media is so popular is where people can post their beliefs and ideas and they count the number of likes they get and they oftentimes uh, delete the not unlikes or the uh, comments that are not favorable to what they post. It's, it's curious, but the internet is a great way. It, it's, the internet is kind of an outpicturing of the collective consciousness of humankind. And, and it's, it's all floating there and you can choose and pick whatever it is you want whatever resonates with your belief and yet generally we, we gravitate towards pages or towards personalities who post things that we we resonate with that that we agree with very few of us will you know it's same with tv we we, we turn on the tv news channels that that uh, talk about the things we agree with and their their position is i you know it takes discipline i i watch all the news channels, especially CNN and Fox. And I don't watch Fox because I necessarily agree with, with what they're saying, but I want to hear about what they're saying so I can be well-informed. And, I, and I, the, I guess maybe the best practice of all is to not obsess about the news too much and limit your input of it because every news station has its own agenda and you have to be smart enough and become the witness of your own thoughts and beliefs to know what's sinking in because you, you agree with it and what's being pushed back because you don't agree with it. That's, that's not a bad place to be. Yeah. That, that is a difficult thing to do because you do have, you know, you, you mentioned tuning in the CNN and Fox and they obviously have their, their own agendas, which <laughs> yeah. is pushed largely by, you know, commercial interests. And um, I think, you know, you have a wise choice there where you, you look at all of them and you don't obsess, right? And you, but um, how can social media companies help or, or can they even help? I mean, there's, there's a lot of debate these days about, you know, how Facebook can, uh, can accelerate or amplify bad things, um, you know, and then people then move on to 4chan or to uh, Truth, uh, what's that, Truth Social, oh. which is Trump's thing. Um, very, very few social media uh, foundations or sites have a soul and a heart. They give it a rip about nothing except making money. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, whatever is going to generate the money is what they're going to post, knowing that it will either agree with or not agree with their base following. So they don't post things that their base following doesn't agree with. 
It's just that simple. And, and they post th- things that, that, that they know people will agree with. So, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, yeah. social media is, is a, can be the greatest tool for spreading good ideas and the greatest tool for spreading lies. It, do, it doesn't care. The social media platforms are interested in ratings, not uh, opinions. Yeah. Wow. It, it, it almost sounds like unless, you know, a person is aware of these, of these, um, of these issues and aware of the, the true motivation behind social media companies that, um, it's almost hopeless in a sense, because how do you make that journey to becoming a, a person of, of good beliefs, uh, of a, developing a good belief system when you got all this overload of information coming at you like crazy? Um, it's, it's really hard. Uh, I you, think. Have be, you have to be discerning as to what you watch. I'll be honest with you, this last six months, <clears throat> I have been trying to avoid watching news altogether. My wife wants to be informed. She watches the news and, and uh, I'll get up and, and lovingly leave the room, do something else while she watches the news because I don't want that stuff permeating my consciousness, both you know the opinions of the right and the left and everything in between. I want to be able to be so, so in tune with my own truth that I am guided to make decisions that are, that are sponsored by my own uh, beliefs and uh, preferences, not not the world's. That's mm-hmm. difficult. It is difficult, and I know that uh, I have a similar, uh, perhaps the opposite situation here, where my wife says, "You know, why do we even watch the news? This just nothing but bad." But I, you know, let me play devil's advocate here to quote a religious uh, <laughs> religious uh, mm-hmm. reference. There, let me play devil's advocate here because if, and I say this to my wife too, I say, "Oh." How are we then to protect ourselves when society is going in a direction? And I, I believe, you know, we'll talk about this shortly about about the elements of power and control in our government. Uh, how do we regulate that as individuals? Because democracy really demands that each person participate. And if right. you don't participate, and a lot of people don't, they tune out as well. A lot of people of, of, of your of your belief there, they'll well, they'll tune out. But how do you how do you prevent us from making a big mistake on a, on a, on a, on a mass basis? Dan, I'm not promoting by any means just ignoring the news. I think it's crucially vital to stay informed, right? To stay informed. Mm-hmm. But when we begin to obsess and be sucked into and seduced by the negative news, which if you notice most news channels, including the ones that I probably believe more in, they're, they, uh, they're obsessing on giving us bad news. Mm-hmm. And we already know the bad news is there. And it's important to stay advised as to what's going on. But when they, they replay and replay and replay and replay the horrible things that are going on in the world. Because some there's something within a lot of human beings that makes them feel better about themselves when they see that some, somebody else in the world has it worse than them. Yeah, That's a strange thing, you know. But yeah. Yeah, that's um. Isn't there a word called Schadenfreude or something like that? Yep. Where it's uh. Schadenfreude. Yeah. Schadenfreude is a German phrase, which means is a, you, you drive a, a kind of a distorted sense of pleasure by knowing others have it worse than you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Even a word for it. Well, let's talk about uh, yeah. let's talk about power and control here because uh, this it, it it's 
humans are basically driven by power and control. And so I'm no psychologist, but I'd say that power gives you control or at least the perception of control. And the perception is then that the more power you have, the more control you have. And individual people struggle with control every day because a loss of control means a loss of security. And that's, you know, that I'm not saying that's the right belief, but that is a, that is a belief of a lot of people. And driving mm-hmm. everything in the background is this thing I know you like to talk about, which is fear. So if I were to be so bold as to analyze our modern society as a psycho- as a sociologist, uh, which I'm not a sociologist either, I would say that people live in fear. And it might be fear that's being stoked by these news cycles that we were talking about. And this fear then drives the quest for control, which then drives the quest for power. But the funny thing is, though, we... We suffer from this delusion that power can only be obtained by taking it away from someone else. So, well, that's that's because that's because the world's addicted to what what I refer to, and and some other authors that I think have similar thought lines refer to as external power. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Deepak Chopra called it uh, object referral. When you look outside of yourself to the world for your your power. Uh, Gary Zukov, my friend, call, calls it uh, external power, mm-hmm. which which is the same thing as uh, thinking that the things around you, your money, your house, your your bank account, the size of those things are, are they represent power. And the more power you have, the the more secure you'll be, and the more secure you'll be, the that more peace you'll be, which is absolutely incorrect, right? Because there will never be enough of that stuff, you know. No. Power, internal power comes from a, a deeper place of understanding your oneness with the power, which is infinite intelligence, God, at the center of all that is. So external power is all, always temporal. It's going to, you know, if you think that you, but some people build a strong body or, or carry a gun is a form of external power. They think that's powerful. But what happens when you get old and feeble and, and you, your, your muscles go away or you lose your gun or it's taken away from you? Where's your power then? Mm-hmm. See, that, those, those are all temporal forms of power and they're, it's, it's, it's a misnomer that they are really powerful. They're tools that convince you that in the moment you have power, but you don't. Real power comes from a, a sense of authority that you're one with the power of the universe, which is never, never uh, inconsistent. It's always there for you to draw upon, but it happens through your mind, your beliefs, and your consciousness. You have to change those ideas about your relationship with power. And and the need to the need to control is the fear of being out of control, right? And all fear, as you said, this is my my beliefs. All fear comes from a, a, a concern of loss of something, a loss of something. And when you lose whatever that something is you, you, when you, that you fear losing, that's where the fear pops up is when you're out of control, when you lose whatever it is you think gives you the, the substance or su- sustenance that you need in the moment. That's very powerful, and and I I know that uh, from knowing you throughout the years, I really enjoy when you when you talk about these topics. The um, but it, it, going back to looking at at the belief system of the popular of the populace out there, and I wouldn't say it may not even be a majority opinion, but it is it is an opinion of enough people to make a difference in our world. And 
I guess what I'm saying here is that people that don't believe in your in the true definition of power, the power coming from 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 God and the power that's all around us and available to us all the time, a lot of people don't believe that. And so the political parties, because they don't believe in this, they are constantly fighting each other for power. And mm-hmm. what I've noticed, especially lately, is that governance is no longer about representing the will of the people, but it has become mm-hmm. a quest to gain power over the masses. And the way the individual people play into this whole thing is that ordinary citizens, they get wrapped up in this mindset as they align themselves with one party or the other, convinced that their party will dominate and therefore by association, it will give them more power and control. And which, which, which at the end of the day, that's the, 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 the cause but the effect that they're looking for is inner peace. Not world peace, but inner peace. I think if they have enough control over enough things, including perhaps the world, then they then have that sense of ah, things went right with the world. I'm okay. I'm at peace because I have con- I have control. I have power. I have control over my own destiny, which is another illusion. There's no such thing as control over your own destiny other than through your beliefs. Yeah. Well, and I would point out too that the absurdity of this belief. Uh, of of external power is that when you we've seen it already like when one party gets power let's say you know when when in 2016 when when Donald Trump was elected it wasn't only just the fact that the president was a republican but there was a majority of republicans in 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 both in both houses or in, in both chambers yeah. um they began almost immediately to split because there was a struggle even within the republican party you had the traditional Republicans uh, fighting against the extremist right elements. Uh, these days, I'd say the traditional Republicans have lost, in a sense. Um, I think the uh, extremist right has taken over. But even now, the Democrats, and you know, they have a majority. I mean, they have the presidency. They have a majority in both chambers. And now we're seeing their splitting. You know, they're hanging together by a thread as the elements of the radical progressive left, I put that in air quotes here, you can't see it, but I got it in air quotes, the radical progressive mm-hmm. left is struggling with the traditionalists as well. So this, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you look at the absurdity of this thing, it doesn't take a degree in psychology, I think, or it doesn't take a degree in, 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 uh, in spiritual matters to really understand that this is a, uh, it's a fool's errand to think that, that you can get this power because once you get it, other people are going to start fighting for it, even within your own, within your own party. That's, that's, you're absolutely right for that's external power. David Hawkins wrote a book called Power Versus Force. And it's a book I'd recommend if, if people want to explore this concept. He delineates the difference between power, which, which is that which comes from within ourselves and force, which is the, the attempt to use that power to manipulate others. What was the name of the book again? David Hawking's Power Versus Force, you said? Power Versus Force, yeah. Okay, okay, I'm writing that down right now, good. Well, you know, human history is full of these tragedies where the quest for power, it it ultimately destroys them. It becomes the undoing of entire nations and, and what I'm afraid of at this point is that the very nation that you and I grew up in, that we always thought as children, this was like the most stable country, the best country in the world and so on. Um, I'm seeing, I'm looking down the road and seeing this could come to an end. Um, How do we, how do we, this may be redundant to ask this, but how do we, as a nation, how do we stop this fear-driven cycle? 
you know, especially as the engine behind this cycle of, of, of fear and security, power and control seems to be driven, to some degree anyways, by ultimate doubts about our own identity, both spiritual and cultural, as we, and, and the fact that we're moving into an uncertain future. Well, it, it's going to require a majority of people to wake up to a point where they're willing to take a look at their own beliefs and challenge their beliefs. And, and I mean, I have family members who are totally on the extreme other opposite uh, from my beliefs politically and, and spiritually as well. And uh, until we can create a space to get together and talk it through and be willing to, and open-minded enough to look at what you believe and challenge it, I don't think there's going to be much change. Um, and it's about waking up. You know, awareness builds consciousness. We have to become more aware that we have the ability to change our inner beliefs, which will change automatically our experience in the world. And that goes for the right and left and the centers and everything in between. We have to be willing to stand and look at, be accountable for what has been passed down to us generationally in our belief system that we're not even aware is there, but we live from it as if it was the truth and it may not be. Mm -hmm. And so it's about every human being standing clear, getting clear on the fact that they need to be able to be so become the self witness to their own uh, mindset through self inquiry that they're willing to explore their beliefs and a challenge was not working, but it's difficult to do when you have so many people who are operating reactively rather than proactively to fear. What can individuals do? And, and, and before I let you answer that question, uh, I'll give you some examples here. There's this thing called the Bridge Alliance, and it's not really a spiritual outreach, but um, it is an organization that's dedicated to having people get together, people with opposite viewpoints getting together, sitting across the table, maybe having a beer together. There's another organization called Braver Angels. We actually had one of their representatives on the podcast here. It was about a year ago. Um, so there's a way, there, there are mechanisms out there for people to reach out to each other and connect with each other. But um, I want to focus more on spiritual side of things. I mean, what can people listening to this podcast do to maybe get more in tune with their belief system and, and, and how their spirit uh, interacts with that belief system? Become, become aware if, if the religion that you're practicing is teaching fear, you need to look at, at, at that and challenge it. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, that any religion would teach fear, and that's essentially what, what fundamental Christianity has created a devil in hell. It's called duality to, to uh, create a sense of fear that was able to control the masses. And the mindset is you, you you have to go through the church in order to to get salvation or to get that sense of peace that we're looking for God's love, you know. And until until we're willing to to uh, look at the the idea that any religion that we're exploring, if if it teaches any form of fear or punishment or God's wrath, you need to challenge that and look at it because it's 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 counterproductive to a peaceful, healthy. Uh, mind and heart. That that's interesting because as you're talking about that, I was just remembering I was at a at a shopping mall. It was quite a few years ago now, and I was kind of minding my own business, uh, walking around. I think my wife was we had separated, and she was looking at a, she was in another clothing store or something like that. So I was just kind of minding my own business, and this this man pulls me aside. He says, uh, "Pardon me, sir." He says, uh, "What?" Um, 
what what do you think happens to you after you die? And I thought, oh, here we go. And I says, I don't know. And, and he says, well, where do you want to go? To heaven or hell? And I says, well, first of all, I don't believe in hell. And and, mm-hmm. and he, his eyes got no. real wide. He looked at me like, this is like challenging his core belief. He says, how can you mm-hmm. not believe in hell? I says, well, how can you believe in heaven? I mean, you know, it... It, I, and I, but I, but I, I had sort of a spiritual discussion with him. I said, you, once you believe, once you allow yourself to believe in this separation of good people and bad people, it's been mm-hmm. shown that most people will think of themselves as being the good person, right? Very few people think of themselves oh. as being bad. Most people want to believe they're good. And I said, once you make that belief, once you allow that to soak into your, into your soul, you're going to look at everybody. And say, okay, he's he's a believer. He's good. He's bad. He's good. And that begins the process of polarizing our society, and that begins a process of hate, and it begins a process of a never-ending cycle of fight and 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 more and and you know suffering. Which is Dan, which is why I think we need to train ourselves and our children to look for what's right with people rather than what's wrong. Yeah. Look, look for the good and, and praise it. You know, I mean, it works with, with our children. We, we, do, we witness them doing good things and we praise them and we love them. And if they're doing bad things, we correct them. We correct that behavior, but we don't do that with adults because we're afraid. Yeah. How do you, how do you know when you're feeling fear though? I mean, you talk about being afraid. How do you know when fear is, is getting to you like for 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 the benefit of our listeners how would they know that fear is beginning to run their lives fear causes a sense of separation from from uh, your body fear causes anxiety fear causes a, a, a sense of uh, being apart from rather than one with the universe with life with the, the power you know the, the Fear, fear divides, love heals. It's just that simple. It's that challenges. That sounds a little corny, but it's true. Fear divides us. Love heals us and brings us together. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that. I've, uh, I've come to that belief myself. Um, so one final question for you, because we're kind of uh, running up toward, um, toward our time here. here. Um, where can people go to learn more about what you do and maybe find more information on the books that you've written and the services that you provide? Yeah. They go to my website. It's DennisMerrittJones.com. D-E-N-N-I-S-M-E-R-R-I-T-T-J-O-N-E-S.com. And there you can see all about all the books I've written. Uh, I do mentoring, one-on-one mentoring with people. Uh, I do keynote speaking and uh, there's all kinds of free downloads and you can even subscribe to my, my monthly uh, e-message I send out, which is usually uplifting and inspirational, not trying to sell anybody anything other than the idea that who you are uh, matters, but even more important than that, what you do with who you are matters to everybody on the planet. And I do believe that when we leave this planet, the last breath we take you know, we have a chance to review our lives. And, and if we know that we've, uh, when we leave the planet, it's a better place than it was when we got here, we can be assured that we've accomplished what was ours to do on this planet uh, and, and, and take our last breath with gratitude and peace. So, that, yeah, go to my website and, and uh, you can, they can learn all about me and I'd love to hear from you. 
Perfect. Yeah, I'll put a link uh, on the uh, on the uh, on the show description for the site so that, uh, that people know where to go and they can just click on that and get to your website. Highly recommend it. You've cool. written a number of books. I know I've we've gone over a few of them here, but you've written a number of books that have been translated to different languages, and right. um, it's uh, it's they're all a very beautiful read, and it's, it really helps you helps put you in touch with um, with the with the rest of the universe. We've been talking with Dennis Merritt-Jones, author, keynote speaker, spiritual leader, and mentor. Dennis, thank you for joining us on the program at Democracy on the Move today. Dan, thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. You're making a difference. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week.